Hi everybody, you're listening to the Rogue Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We're rope partners and have been practicing together for about four years. We're excited to share our passion for rope with you, and we live in Thailand. And Maya, we're also excited that this episode today is sponsored by Friction Live. Oh, what do Friction Live do, Fox? Uh, they offer really good live online classes on a variety of kink topics, and a lot of rope in particular, so you're going to like that because you like rope. I do, I and... rope. <laughs> Funnily <laughs> enough, as it happens. And in fact, our guest today is someone we had the pleasure to meet when she taught a class with Friction Live, didn't she, Maya? Yeah, she did, and we were very, uh, we enjoyed it very much. So you can check them out at frictionlive.ca. So as Fox said, today we're pleased to have an interview with Ebby Bex, a queer masochistic bottom who, along with her partner, Don with Lens, DWL, participates and teaches at national and international events. And we wanted to explore with her one of her favorite topics, emotional masochism in rope, uh, along with understanding her personal journey in the kink. So Bex, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thank you uh, so much for having me on. I'm really excited about this. It's <laughs> such a pleasure. So to get us started, Bex, how did you start in rope? Uh, so I first discovered rope back before I was technically legal to be looking for it. Oh, jailbait. Tell us. For all intents and purposes. Um so I, I knew I was kinky as a teenager um, and pretty quickly discovered that I liked the idea of being restrained. And I think like with for how most people, it starts with bedroom bondage. Like that's kind of the most easily accessible. You don't need anything fancy to do it. Mm. Um, and after I turned 18, I started seeking out uh, more of the kink community, more of the BDSM community. And let's see, this would have been like about 2007 or so. So things were still transitioning online, like back from when Color Me was a thing, if anyone was on that. Everything was still kind of Yahoo based. And that was where I got started. And pretty much the only thing at the time I think you could really find on quote unquote Shibari or Japanese rope bondage was uh, Midori's book, The Erotic Art of Japanese Bondage, mm. uh, which I, I still have my copy of. And I distinctly remember getting it because uh, I had it shipped to the house and my mother opened it. So that's, <laughs> that's always a good time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that was, that was a fun conversation. What was her reaction uh, to it? Uh, something along the lines of what the fuck is this? <laughs> I think I tried to say it was for a report. I don't think she believed me, though. <laughs> Good times. Um, and then I I went to college, and I kind of dropped out of it other than my personal sex life and trying to get straight vanilla guys to spank me during sex. Hmm. Uh, largely unsuccessful. <laughs> and when I – and then I met I met my, my now husband and partner uh, in – I guess about six or seven years ago and threw him into the deep end. Uh, he didn't know he was kinky. He had never, he did not realize like he had had the fantasies, but didn't realize there were people out there who like did this. Oh, um, you perverted him. Well done. 
I corrupted him. Very proud of it. <laughs> and I, I mentioned, you know, wrote to him that I had this interest, that there was this, this thing called Shibari. Uh, and next thing I knew, we had found a weekend intensive and signed up. And that was kind of the beginning of the end. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. And uh, so would you say that today rope is one of your core kinks? Uh, yeah, I absolutely. Uh, sometimes I actually have to differentiate it. It's like rope and then there's the other kinks. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily that rope is like superior or better. It's just it takes up uh, a part of my life in such a different way that it sort of occupies its own bubble. Hmm. Yeah, we can definitely empathize with that. Yeah. Also, rope kind of is superior. We just don't <laughs> let the other BDSM people know that. We just say that between us on the rope podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So in all, in all that time, um, how did you feel that your rope bottoming has evolved? When DWL and I first got into everything, it was the first everything. So it was our first relationship, our first DS relationship. We had just gotten into rope. It was his literal first everything kinky. Hmm. Uh, so we had a lot of beginnings happening at the same time. Uh, so when I started, like we, we definitely ran into the complications that a lot of power exchange couples face uh, when learning any new skill, not necessarily rope, where he as the dominant or as the top would tie the thing and I would stand there and I would be the very well-behaved submissive bottom and not say anything so that he could tie all the knots correctly. And then after an hour of things getting messed up, we'd, you know, get into a fight about it and not speak to each other for a couple of hours. <laughs> you know, being like, okay, let's come back to this and figure out uh, where, where we went wrong. So I was definitely much more of a passive uh, practitioner, whereas I didn't, I didn't know how much there was to it. I mean, you know, like there's, there's a saying, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Uh, the more I know, the more I know, the more I don't know. <laughs> and so I want to say somewhere, somewhere around year two, year three, uh, I really started kind of paying attention. I started following more models, um, and bottoms and started talking to more bottoms and, Realizing that there was a lot more ways that I could kind of be involved in my own journey through this. Uh, I will call out Gorgon, uh, as one of my, my biggest influences and an intensive we took with her four or five years ago really, uh, changed our, kind of our rope journey and the direction of it. Hmm. Uh, but also during that time, we, uh, DWL and I had to learn how to communicate with each other in different ways. Um, he is a photographer, so that is a large component of a lot of the rope we do. Okay. So we had to learn, you know, we, we learned to set intention for things. Like, are we going into this as a photo shoot? Are we going into this as lab time? Are we going into this as a scene? Like, what are our expectations of this? Mm. Uh, I've definitely gotten a lot better at communicating my own feelings, my own kind of where I'm at, my own self-advocacy. I've gotten a lot better at reading my body, at knowing where my limits are, how I can push them, when I can push them, who I can push them with. Uh, and just like overall knowledge of all of the rope things, <laughs> finger quotes, uh, has, 
has come such a long way. And what really stands out to me is less of a personal thing and more of a community thing in that when I first started teaching, um, I, I threw a class together, um, because somebody asked me to, somebody asked if there was anything I wanted to talk about. Uh, and at that time there was really only a handful of bottoms that were teaching, um, from a bottoming perspective. Okay. And I kind of started looking around and realizing that this is somewhere we were kind of lacking. And in the last five or six years, I've seen that change so much. Whereas now you go into almost any community, there's some kind of monthly bottoming roundtable. They bring in people to teach bottoming skills and workshops. They're regular classes at conventions now. Uh, if you look at like con lineups, you very often see double headline or double names now. So it's the rigor and the bottom. Whereas again, ago you mostly just saw the riggers name hmm. uh, so that's been really great to see how that's evolved over the last few years and something that i'm really proud of and proud to have seen how far that's come in a relatively short period of time hey guys this is fox coming in for a short break we really love making this podcast and sharing it with you but your support can really help us pay for the hosting the equipment and other critical costs so if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at ropepodcast.com. You'll find ways to buy rope tutorials and gear, so we get a small commission from your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, you could also donate to us directly on our Patreon, either as a one-off amount or monthly support that can be as little as the price of a cup of coffee. If you can't afford to do that, that's okay. Just enjoy the podcast and maybe tell a kinky friend or two about it. Now back to today's episode. Thank you for the background. Uh, and one of the things that uh, we've seen you talk about and is a core kink of yours is emotional sadomasochism, which is um, more edge play, I think, than um, some of the bedroom bondage stuff. So can you tell us what it is and, and give us some examples of what it might look like in rope? Um, so this is both one of my favorite things and one of the most difficult things I think to talk about uh, that I talk about. <laughs> and so emotional sadomasochism is in enjoying either giving or receiving pain that is of the emotional, mental, psychological variety uh, versus physical. Um, and this is something that is not relegated to rope by any means. Um, it's just somewhere I've found can be a lot of fun to play with. Uh, so talk so us through some examples. Yes. Um, so there's a lot to play with. Um, I generally throw kind of a few things under the emotional pseudomasochism umbrella, um, including humiliation, uh, degradation, objectification, shame play, uh, deprivation. So there's a whole lot that can kind of fall under there. Um, and some of it you see in kind of the more traditional Kimbaku uh, scenes that play out. Um, so, you know, the, the disrobing of somebody, um, you know, while they're being tied, you know, the, the pulling out of one breast, um, or you have that, that slow exposure, you know, where you see the M shape, for instance, a lot in, in a lot of rope bondage, you know, it's very exposing, it's very, you know, degrading. 
Um, so those are some of, I think, the more quote unquote typical things you see with how this is applied in rope bondage. Uh, if you take it a, away from the more traditional, uh, you can throw this into things like how you play with words and, and verbal things throughout your scene. Um, this can be things like playing with somebody's insecurities um, or things that they're sensitive about. This can be something that I, I refer to as rope cuckolding. So making somebody watch while you tie someone else up and or, or insinuating, oh, this person was so much better than you. I had such a much better tie with this person. Uh, and this is the part where I throw all my disclaimers at you. Um, Go for it. <laughs> so, yeah. So Maya, as you mentioned, um, this is a bit more edge play. Um, and I really kind of try and drive it home when I talk about this, that this stuff is immensely personal. Um, these things vary from person to person. Uh, their needs vary. What is triggering or what is off limits or all of your negotiations absolutely need to be covered every time with every person. Um, this is a type of play where you can do some serious damage to somebody and it may not be anything physical. They may, you know, it's not, you know, they're not saying they're going to get nerve damage um, or get dropped on their head, uh, but you might screw somebody up and put them in therapy for a long time. So what kind uh, of things do you include in your negotiation if you're going to do this kind of play with your role? So there's a few things I run through, uh, but 9.7 times out of 10 <laughs> that I'm engaging in, in this kind of play, it's already going to be with, uh, with somebody I know, with somebody that I have a rapport with, probably somebody that I've already played with in some capacity before. Um, so I will say that for me, uh, this is not something I do as pickup play. It's not something that I encourage as pickup play. That makes sense. I, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do or what decisions to make. We're all adults and that's your, your own personal risk profile, but it's, it's not something that I would ever suggest somebody do as pickup play or even necessarily casually. Hmm. So, so yeah, so for me, there's going to already be, some kind of rapport, relationship, uh, correspondence with whoever this is. Um, and so how do you evolve that initial um, relationship into one of more emotional sadomasochism? Hmm, that's a really great question. Um, I think for me, it does tend to be very energy-based, uh, which is me being fancy way of saying I don't know. <laughs> um, no, that's not that's not very true. Um, but it's definitely an energy thing. Like if I get that feeling with this person, like that this is something that would work well in our play, um, is this somebody that I have a high level of trust for? Um, that's absolutely a requisite. Um, but I don't, <laughs> I don't have a super, uh, great answer to like how I choose people I will engage with this in other than it seemed like a good thing to do. <laughs> sure, sure. So it's more about the feel of the person and how the relationship evolves naturally. 
it's very it's very much on a person by person basis for me sure sure and so you mentioned the terms humiliation objectification degradation and um in my um, own experience in reading there's a lot of confusion between these terms um are you able to give us an example of each of those within the the sense of a rope scene yes um I'll go through, I have my, my little Merriam-Webster definitions here. Okay. Um, go through those as well, just to kind of differentiate the words themselves, and I'll try and um, pair it with an example. Uh, so my my working definitions, and there's there's some variance depending on where you look, so, you know, grain of salt for all of them. Uh, one of the best examples I heard, or best uh, definitions about shame actually came from a rope person who goes by Marceline VQ. They are based in New York. Um, and they wrote one day that shame is something that comes from within yourself while humiliation is something outside of your own um, person, which really kind of hit home for me. Uh, so Merriam-Webster defined shame as a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, short shortcoming, or impropriety. And I think the... The shortcoming there is one of the big ones for me. Um, so this is definitely one where you have, you can go kind of two different ways. Um, you can go the very traditional kind of shame route. And again, that's where you see a bit more of the traditional Kimbaku, Japanese, um, disrobing models have their, the pain face, um, kind of thing. You know, that this is, this is all very scandalous and, you know, they're being exposed. Uh, for me though, I, I, I am a very verbal person. So the shortcoming bit is one that I like to play with where it's like, oh, you know, this person, you know, that I tied last week was so much bendier than you. Um, you know, why can't you do this thing? Um, which is awful, right? It is <laughs> like, pretty intense actually. Yeah. That's an awful thing to say to somebody. Um, unless you have negotiated it and you have a bit of a fucked up brain and that's uh, what you're into. <laughs> um, so with bouncing off of that, uh, humiliation, um, is something that more in, involves kind of outside forces. So this is a bit more of the, your, you know, your before crowd and something embarrassing happens. Um, so for rope, you know, this could be that, you know, if you're somebody who is generally taken very seriously. Uh, this could be something that like makes you look ridiculous. Um, I have a friend um, who is fond of using rubber chickens in his bondage. Interesting. And, <laughs> and it's humiliating because you feel ridiculous. Um, you know, it's like this isn't there, there. There's nothing quote unquote sexy about this. This is awful. Like, um, so I think I I see a lot of kind of the silly side of humiliation there, but you can definitely get more intense with it. Um, you know, a lot of the big scenes people plan for cons in front of, in front of big crowds, that kind of thing. Um, objectification, uh, definition being treated as an object <laughs> or less than human. Um, and this one I find interesting because while as the, most of the other words or emotions that I lump under this emotional SM tend to have a more negative connotation um, in the sense that, you know, it's, it's causing pain. It's causing, you know, emotional distress. It's causing someone to be upset for whatever, you know, reason. 
Um, but I think objectification can really go in either way because you can have the objectification of using somebody, you know, as an object. So if you think of, you know, somebody who's tied to serve as a table, uh, I see this a lot in pictures and it's always sushi. I don't know why. It's sushi. <laughs> yeah, it's always sushi. Although we did one in Thailand with like fudge and candy and it was Desserts. kind of amazing. It was a lot nicer. <laughs> I was going to say, like, why isn't it ever like dessert food? Like, yep. that sounds weird. Yeah, like licking Whipped liquid cream. chocolate of yeah. women's nipples was a very high note. It was enjoyable. <laughs> but no, we're going to do raw fish instead. I guess that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I'm not a sushi fan. I'm sorry to all the sushi lovers out there. <laughs> um, so, you know, and that, that can be a very um, upsetting experience for somebody to be treated as this thing that's less than human. Um, but I think it can also be really positive too. Um, speaking from my personal experience, uh, one of my biggest drives as a bottom, as a submissive, uh, just in terms of my kink identity, um, is to be useful. Um, so if I feel like I am fulfilling that, so if my partner wants to turn me into a lamp and they are pleased by my performance as a lamp, then I'm happy um, <laughs> because I have I have been a useful object. Um, so I think this is a really interesting one in that I think this one can be less intense than the others. Um, so I think it's one that can be good to play with as you're getting into this. I think you can go a little bit um, easier on it. Um, you can kind of go to the traditional, like, well, I'm going to tie you up and use you as a sex toy. Um, I think that's kind of one of the more accessible versions of this this fantasy or this um kink uh and last but not least uh degradation um being broken down or put down to decline to a low destitute or demoralized state uh and this one i would say is kind of the more intense um and i would actually say that more of my degradation heavy scenes have not necessarily been in rope, um, other than rope being kind of a tool. So this is kind of, you know, your interrogation scenes, um, ones where it's like, I've, I've, I've requested these scenes when I'm like, wow, everything is a shit show right now. And I just really need you to make me cry. Um, so these, I would say degradation tends to be kind of the heaviest, uh, and definitely one of the ones that can have a lot of landmines. Um, so this is kind of where you really want to discuss what you're doing with your partner, discuss what your triggers are, discuss what is within bounds and what is off limits. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so at its core, uh, emotional sadomasochism is taking what is a traditionally negative traditionally viewed as a negative feeling and somehow transmuting that into an experience that you desire as a bottom. Yes. And what do you get, get out of it? Like what's the uh, payoff for you there? I think for me, these tend to be very cathartic scenes. They tend to be ones where I can let go of a lot of my anxiety. Uh, I am a person with a lot of anxiety, um, my own mental health stuff and my brain is kind of constantly going and these scenes tend to shut 
shut my brain down in a way uh, that not a lot of other things do. Um, I think because because these are generally intense things and because it gives me something that I can't help but focus on. So there's, for me, a lot of catharsis in it. There's a lot of kind of release. There's a lot of kind of sense of accomplishment. Like after I've, I've done something really difficult and it's like, okay, I did this difficult thing. Like, cool. <laughs> okay. And, and so one of the things I wanted to say, this is from a personal perspective, is joining up with the wider community, kink community, um, has been quite validating for me in terms of feeling that something like emotional sadomasochism, which is also a kink that we play with, uh, is a valid kink, is something that you can play with, um, in a rack way for sure, but that can be something that isn't to be ashamed of in itself. Because I think sometimes people have these desires and feel, um, maybe judged or feel like they're, um, not a healthy kink. And so I think that's one of the things that, um, speaking to someone like you and, and the wider community can understand that this is a, as valid a kink as anything else. And as long as you negotiate and, um, do all the things that we would expect in any, uh, healthy BDSM scene, then it's just as valid as anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I 100% agree with you that I had similar feelings and I was like, I don't know if this is okay to feel this way about this thing. Um, like I want somebody to call me names and say terrible things about me. Um, and I didn't even know what to call it. Like, I don't even think I had the words to kind of describe it until, you know, kind of approaching it from a few different angles and being like, okay, this is, this is what's happening. Um, but I don't, I think people get very caught up in what you can and can't do in kink. Um, and I think sometimes rope people more than anybody else. God, yeah. yes. <laughs> Indeed. I, I hear the sigh of everyone that is listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I very much take the approach and this, I say both, from a personal perspective uh, and as a bottom, because I get very uh, defensive <laughs> when I hear people kind of make absolute statements, particularly about bottoms, um, as though we're incapable of our own advocacy and our own self-empowerment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We get to that. <laughs> yeah. um, for the same reason that like I'm never going to tell somebody you know you should or should not play with safe words mm. um you know me personally um I don't use them unless it's like a specifically cnc no does not mean no scene um particularly you know we talk about it a lot in rope that you know like red doesn't do anything if something's wrong that's you know rope you, you cannot immediately you mean the the rigor like just Raising his hand and stepping away once you're up in the <laughs> suspension doesn't help you. <laughs> We're done now. <laughs> um, you know, like we say that the best way you can communicate in rope is, is to give kind of, you know, plain English or clear instructions. My, you know, left foot is experiencing this thing. I have two minutes left in this position um, because rope is, a you know, a, a rope scene is not something that can be immediately ended uh, the way an impact scene can. Um, even if you want something, you know, if, you know, even if you stop a scene, 
things still need to be untied. You need to be brought down. Like it's, there's a process. Um, so like, honestly, like when people ask me, like I say, no, I don't typically use them. Does that mean you shouldn't use them? That is for you to decide. <laughs> um, one of the ones or kind of along this line of thinking, uh, that I get very, uh, outspoken <laughs> about, and I, I think particularly because this is something I see mostly targeted at bottoms, um, or submissives or people on the receiving end of things. Um, which is the no mid-scene negotiation rule. And I like that rule. I'm a big fan of not renegotiating things midway. And I will actually tell people, um, and particularly about rope, uh, rope more than anything else, because it is very much kind of my comfort zone. But I will tell people that I am tying with, if I can negotiate or if I can talk, I can negotiate. Um, so if you think of something in the middle of, a, of our tying, um, and you want to ask me, like, ask me. Um, but that is very much a choice I have made for myself based on my experiences, hmm. based on things I've thought about. Um, and I think that, and I don't, I don't have a problem at all with like the sentiment behind no mid-scene negotiation. Um, and I, <laughs> I think it is something you should negotiate about. Um, yeah. So, think, so what I'm, I'm getting from you is you're saying everyone should make their personal decisions, personal choices about those issues rather than take a cookie cutter approach of this is the right way to do it. Yes. And I, I think for that one specifically, because it tends to be aimed at bottoms and as this kind of, oh, you're going to be too impaired to kind of make your own decisions. And that that's what irks me about that. Um, but I, do I absolutely think that you should, you know, be aware of the decisions you make regarding negotiations and maybe err on the side of caution and don't do it. <laughs> if it's a new scene, a new partner, um, something you're trying out for the first time, uh, it's not necessarily something that I would, again, recommend to anybody because I don't think there's anything in kink that is universal other yeah. than maybe. And, and as the top, there's risk profile implications to that as well. If you, if you accept to renegotiate things during the scene that could be held against you if things go wrong. So there's many angles to that issue for sure. Absolutely. And like, that's something that like for me as my attempt to hold myself, um, to a certain level of responsibility, like that's something I will always tell tops. Like if you're not okay with that, like that's fine. Like tops mm. can absolutely say no to things as well. Um, and should, if they don't feel comfortable. Um, Absolutely. So, um, but going back to the original, there's the tangent. Um, so finding out that I was like into um, this kind of emotional state of masochism was, was very similar for me, Maya, and that I, I didn't know if it was okay and how is this a good thing? How is this a bad thing? When is it a bad thing? Um, were all things that I, I kind of floundered through. Thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> well, I figured it out. Time. In terms of aftercare, if you're going to play with emotional SM in your rope, does it change your aftercare in any way? Yes. Uh, that's actually a great question. Uh, for a... I want to... I, I want to... I don't... I don't want to say typical, but typical rope scene. Um, so for the sake of conversation, uh, a rope scene that is more purely based on the rope, uh, you're not adding any of these elements. Um, a more casual tie or lab time, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't super need much aftercare. Uh, 
Um, I kind of bounce back um, pretty quickly. And for me, it's kind of let me sit and talk and help you clean up your ropes. And by the time we're done that, I'll be good to go. Um, emotional scenes definitely take a bit more out of me. Um, I definitely need more recovery time from them, both kind of directly afterwards. Um, so like, you know, the hour-ish or however long after the scene, um, and then kind of the next couple of days, um, I'm a lot more likely to kind of experience more prolonged drops from this kind of thing than I am from more casual time. So that's something like I will also let my partner know, like, hey, like if I need to check in two days from now, three days and now, a week from now, you know, are you okay with doing that? Because if not, we may need to rethink this. You've written about, uh, this may link to your um, being able to negotiate, negotiate um, halfway through a scene, but you've written about frustration with the term uh, subspace and something that bottoms have to achieve. Can you can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for bringing this up. Um, and this kind of, again, links back to the whole idea that there, there is no cookie-cutter approach. Um, and that writing came out of a discussion I was having with someone that I get really frustrated with a lot of the dialogue and quote-unquote information that is out there regarding this idea of subspace. Um, and you have everything from these awful articles that have been circulating for like the last 10 years about you have to do this many, you know, strikes <laughs> and this many and wait 10 minutes and, you know, and then you do this many and then your sub will be in subspace and they'll be all floaty and it'll be great. Um, that's like just blatantly wrong. Like, and it's like, this is how your brain chemicals work and that's not how they work at all. Um, so you have everything from that to, um, just other, you know, pieces, articles, stories where it's less intentional, but there's still this kind of idea being pushed that it's this thing that needs to be achieved. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the nirvana of kink. Um, and where I think that gets harmful is it becomes this goal that people feel they have to reach in order to be quote unquote successful. Um, I've spoken to a lot of submissives um, or bottoms who have kind of asked, you know, well, how do you get to subspace? I don't, or I don't feel like I've been there or I got there once and then I couldn't ever do it again. Or my space doesn't look like my friend's space. Um, and it's just this kind of, weird anxiety over this idea. And it's not that I disagree again with the idea of an altered state of consciousness of good feelings of endorphins of whatever your headspace looks like. I just think we need to move away. A, I don't love the term subspace because I think like everybody can get into a headspace, no matter what role you fill um, or what kind of scene you're doing. Um, so I tend to use headspace more than anything else, but that whatever that space that you're looking for or looking to achieve, it doesn't need to look like this one thing. And if you don't quote unquote get there, you haven't failed. And so and for you, the headspace of rope, if any, what does that look like? It very much depends on the day <laughs> and the person and the scene. Uh, I, I think I say all the time, one of my favorite things about rope is that it can be so many things. It can be um, silly. It can be sadistic. It can be sexual. It can be romantic. It can be for fun. Um, 
and it, it can be whatever you want it to be. Um, and it's, it's versatility is one of the things that I love so much about it. Um, and why I enjoy it because I can play with so many different things within this one kink. Um, so I have rope relationships that are totally platonic. Um, they're close friends and they're usually silly and we laugh at each other and we make fun of each other. Um, and then I have ones that are more intense, um, that are more sadistic, that are more about pushing limits. Um, and that varies both by person and by, by day. So I don't have a super solid answer for that other than I do enjoy challenging rope. Um, and that can be mentally or physically. Um, and I'm, I, so I'm usually looking for, and some kind of brain shut off, <laughs> which is sounds good. Yeah. So maybe less of a headspace than a lack of a headspace. <laughs> I'm trying to turn my anxiety brain off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what advice would you give tops when they want to start scening with emotional sadomasochism in rope? Um, a lot. I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Again, I heavily advise people to not do this thing as pickup play um, or to not get heavy into this kind of play with somebody that you don't know well. Um, because I think it is really important to have built up that trust on both sides. Not only as the bottom do I need to trust that you're going to stay within my limits, but you as the top need to trust me that I've been honest that I've given you necessary information um, that I'm going to communicate the way I say I'm going to communicate. So definitely some kind of existing recommend or some kind of existing relationship. Uh, I would definitely recommend um, other things. You have to be willing to have conversations and possibly multiple conversations, because as you get into this, this is where you need to start asking hard questions. Like, do you have any triggers? Are there things that, you are, you know, that you struggle with, are there things happening in your life right now? Um, you know, do you have a sick parent? Do you, are you going through grad school? Uh, do you have financial difficulties right now? Um, like all of these things can affect our play. And I think as you get into more of this, the, these edgier emotions and psychological stuff, you have to be more aware of these things. Uh, I think you also need to be aware of your time commitments. Uh, are you willing to be there for this person um, as a top? You know, if something goes wrong or if, if they need extra support, are you willing to be there for them? Are you willing to help them process this? Um, are you willing to go to therapy with them? Uh, if you can't answer that question honestly, then like that's something you may want to think about. Because again, there there is a very real risk of causing harm. So I think you need to check in with yourself about where your own risk profile is with that, what you're comfortable with. Um, and then in that negotiation where you come to a place together that is within both of your risk profiles. And on the other side of that negotiation table, if, uh, if a newer bottom or someone at least newer to emotional SM is listening today and they decide after hearing you talk that they're going to try their first rope scene with emotional SM in it, what would your advice be to them? small i mean kind of like like anything else like you can you can always push ahead it's a lot harder to pull back um so like this might be something you know like if you never 
um, played with exposure before in your room and you're like, okay, that's something I might want to try. Um, maybe don't go from fully clothed to fully naked right away. Maybe start by asking your partner, you know, like, okay, maybe start, you know, exposing this body part or this body part and see how that feels. And if it's good, then you can go, you can push a little bit harder next time. Um, but I'll always work out, you know, and that, that's kind of, that's kind of an across the board thing. Cause I'd say that just about rope in general too. You know, you can always, there's, there's always another scene that you can do. Um, I also really would advise people to have some kind of support network, uh, whether that's a therapist that you're already seeing, whether that's friends, whether that's another partner. Um, but have a person or people that you can process this with. Um, I think that's a really helpful thing uh, because things do come up. Uh, and I think also, I wish, I wish there was a better way to say this, but uh, kind of a lot of sitting and thinking with it, which mm. doesn't sound a super actionable item, right? Uh, uh, actually, like, I think I think I get what you're saying. That it's not something you go into lightly, and you spend some time with yourself to think about your motivations, what you want to get out of it, where you want your boundaries to be, and so on, right? Exactly, and I think um, that's a good one too to note. Like your motivation, like not all of this has to be, you know, kind of preparing for, you know, bad things to happen, or mm. or or it's you know, it's also what do you want to get out of this? Um, and that to to both people, you know, why. Why does this call for you? Uh, why do you think you want to do this? What do you expect to get out of it? Um, is it is uh, because all the cool bottoms like Abby Bex are doing <laughs> it a good motivation to do emotionalism? That's a terrible motivation. <laughs> um, also, I'm, I'm definitely not cool. <laughs> You're super cool, Bex. Don't say things like that. Huge nerd. <laughs> we love nerds. Um, <laughs> So, uh, it's kind of a quick personal example. Uh, I have a history of self-injury, mm -hmm. uh, through kind of my teen years. Uh, that was something that I dealt with. Um, so even, and this isn't even necessarily an emotional SM thing so much as an SM thing in general. Um, but as King started becoming more of my life, um, I really took time to like sit and think about my masochism and where I was coming from in seeking out pain. Uh, just to be sure that like my motivations were doing it for doing it weren't going to become harmful. Um, and that weren't, so, so that's my personal example for that. Um, just in terms of things to consider and like, why are you approaching these things? Um, and however that processing looks for you, whether that's writing it down, whether it's a discussion with somebody, whether it's journaling, um, you know, that's, that's again going to be kind of individual, but really, yeah, like as you said, not something I would go into lightly. And I think a lot to consider. Yeah, that seems like a really deep and interesting aspect to explore, especially if you can do that with someone who's really there for you uh, to do that. That's, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Bex, for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, where can people find you if they want to hear more about you? Oh, uh, where am I? <laughs> um, on the interwebs, I am at Ebibex. Uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife. Uh, if you need to, if you want to email me about anything, um, if you have questions or if you want to set up any kind of teaching things, um, I can be reached at ebibex at gmail.com. E-B-I-B-E-X, uh, same spelling everywhere. Um, and also shameless promotion 
because my husband is a photographer and does cool things and you should check him out. <laughs> he does do cool thing. I like his stuff. Super. Well, we'll put those um, links in the show notes on Fat Life. And that will be all from us today at The Rope Podcast. So don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. So iTunes, Spotify, and so on. And come friend us on our Fat Life page, Rope Podcast. You can also find us easily at ropepodcast.com, including links to support us uh, with our Patreon and other things so we can make many more <laughs> podcast episodes like this one. We also love questions from listeners, so drop us a message on FET and we'll try to answer you in an upcoming episode. All right, you did great so far. Let's do the bonus question and then we can all relax. Uh, so Bex, what's been your favorite emotional sadomasochism rope scene you've been involved in and why? This is hard. <laughs> That's um, what she said. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my husband is downstairs singing badly off key. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I want to say in one of the, one of the first times actually uh, I taught this class in, in person, um, which is kind of a weird answer. And I'm surprising myself a little bit as I say this. Um, so when we when we teach this in person or when we when we do this as a as a class format, um, the we do a bit of a demo portion and we always tell people we've we've done some kind of quick negotiation in terms of where I'm at, if there's anything off limits. Um, obviously if we're doing it for educational purposes, it's going to be scaled back a bit. Um, but we always tell tell people, you know, I don't know what he's going to do to me. <laughs> um and a lot of the times he doesn't either until the end of the class. And then usually he's picked up ideas and to use against me. And the first time we did this, he, I had, um, been taught, I had talked about imposter syndrome a bit, um, and, and how I'm full of it. <laughs> and he tied me up. Uh, and it was, it was a pretty simple like stress tie like wrist tied above my head kneeling kind of thing and then he sat up there uh in front of his class and told me nice things <laughs> <laughs> um and told me you know like you know that all these people were here you know to hear what i had to say and that i'm a knowledgeable bottom and he loves me and all and i'm like you know this is like all over the course of maybe 10 minutes Torturing you with kindness. Yes, and I was in tears at the end of this. And like you can see the class sort of sitting there like not knowing what to do. Um and what I love about it was it was it was just such a great way to kind of show the range of this. That, you know, what you think may be sadistic uh may not be and what you think might be kindness may be cruelty. Um so that was that was a really fun one, um, just in terms of how much I think it, it surprised me. Um, yeah, it sounds brilliant. Very so creative. I, yeah, it was, it was good. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Bex. Uh, I'm going thank to hang up this call so that my computer can record uh, the audio file, and then I call you right back for a debrief, okay?